of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, cantered the blood of the covenant by which he has, by which he was sanctified a common thing. And really, I read all that passage just for this last sentence. And insulted the spirit of grace. There you have it. We're not just coining it. We're not just saying it. The scripture bears witness that the Holy Spirit is in fact and indeed the spirit of grace. Over this last, uh, this last week and weeks to come, you're going to be hearing this over and over and over and over. And I just really want it to get into you to understand that everything we have in God, everything that has been done, everything that Jesus has done, has prepared, has finished for us, will only be received by us to the degree that we understand that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of grace. Now, please give me John chapter uh, 14. No, John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. John 16, 12 through 16. This time, give it to me in Pastor Shina's translation. My goodness. These guys are right on it. Please give him a hand clap. <laughs> and, and save the hand clap in your back pocket because I may take it back later on. <laughs> John chapter 16, verse 12. Look at what it says. I still have many things to tell you. But you can't handle them now. That's what I was saying last week. Jesus did not cross every T and dot every I while he was alive. Why? He knew those guys were not ready. They did not have the capacity or the bandwidth to receive everything he had. So he reserved some for later. And there he says it. But when the friend comes, who is this friend? The spirit of the truth. He will take you by the hand and guide you into all the truth there is. Are you guys reading this? I mean, am I the only one that's excited about this? Now, what happened? <laughs> okay, I don't want to take my clap back. Let me clap again. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Technology. But when the friend comes, the spirit of the truth, he will take you by the hand and guide you into all the truth there is. He won't draw attention to himself, but will make sense out of what is about to happen and indeed, out of all that I have done and said, he will honor me, he will take from me and deliver it to you. Now, so wait a minute, let's just pause there for a minute. He will take from me and deliver to you. So who is going to do this taking? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the one that's going to take it from Jesus. And who is going to deliver it to you? FedEx? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. I don't want you to miss it. The Holy Spirit is the most important resource that is available to every believer today. End of story. It is the Holy Spirit that will take from me and deliver to you. Go ahead. Verse 15. Everything the Father has is also mine. That is why I have said, it takes from me 
and delivers to you. In a day or so, you are not going to see me. Then in another day or so, you will see me. So, again, first in Hebrews chapter 10, we saw that the, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of grace. Now, we read in John chapter 16 how Jesus himself, while he was in the earth, told us, prepared us to anticipate the coming of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit will be the one that would take from him and give to us. Now, let's go to another scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Let's begin to read from uh, verse 7. Thank you. Can we go back to NKJV, please? Thank you very much. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Verse 9. But as it is written, many of us know this. I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared. Take note, past tense. Prepared, done in the past, past tense. The things which God has prepared for those who love him. In other words, our minds cannot fathom them. Our hearts cannot comprehend them. It's, we, our eyes cannot see them. What, what, what's them? What's this them? The things that God has prepared for them that love him. Who are those that love God? The people that love God are, according to 1 John 4, 19, the people that God first loved and who are now responding back to God as a result of the love that they've received from God. So God says, the Bible says, God has prepared some things for us. Verse 10. Verse 10. But God has revealed them to us. How? Through his spirit. So if you want to know what God has prepared for you, if you want to know what God wants to do in your life, if you want to know where God wants to take you, there's only one way to know that now, in this era, in this time, in this dispensation. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. How? Why? For the spirit searches all things. Yes! The deep things of God. Folks, if you want to know who to marry, what course to study in school, what job to accept, where to go on vacation, so you don't go to the Dominican Republic right now. <laughs> no, seriously. If you want to know, if you want to just be in sync with God, which business investments should you make? Don't, don't, don't assume that God is not interested in these areas of your life. He's, he's not only interested, he planned it. And we do ourselves disservice when we don't take advantage of the helper. It's a helper. Amen? For the spirit searches all things. Yes. The deep things of God. You know, there's, there's this uh, misunderstanding or perhaps this assumption, for instance, in business, to think that God does not know anything about business or is not interested in business. I, I, just, I just imagine 
in my mind's eyes when Jesus told Peter to launch out into the deep in Luke chapter 5. I mean, this is Peter, an experienced fisherman, fished all night, toiled all night, the Bible says, and caught nothing. And this rabbi that's wearing these sandals or slippers just walks down there and said, cast the net on the other side or launch out into the deep. There is a natural tendency to want to ask him, what do you know about fishing? Who are you? All you carry is a, a parchment. You are a rabbi. You read scriptures and you are telling me to launch out into the deep. What do you know about fishing? Now, I'm talking to us. Some of us will say, Jesus, what do you know about IT? What do you know about medicine? What do you know about the law? What do you know about profit and, and loss? Who gives you authority to speak about stock, the stock market? You know, we, we, we forget, we forget that this Jesus created all things. And that nothing is made except he made them. So we, 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 we pigeonhole him to this little sliver of church business, church activities, and, and praying, and fasting, and breaking down scriptures. And we forget that everything is under his domain. So when it comes to relevant, practical, simple things of life, we totally just say, Jesus, I went to college, so let me use my uh, Georgia Tech degree, or UGA, or Harvard, or Oxford. Let, for, I mean, you, you have nothing to say about this one. But the Bible wants us to do, for the spirit searches what? All things. All things. The deep things of God. Verse 11. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Amen? Amen? Amen. So again, we are speaking from last week, today, and weeks to come on the Holy Spirit being the spirit or the administrator or the dispenser of God's grace. I just want to really impress upon us that we should dive in and just get in union and in communion with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis and watch him give you directions. Watch him save you money. Watch him lead you to the right place. Watch him give you insight. Watch him give you revelation. Watch him show you things to come that others may not be aware of. Because what? He knows the things of God. And he searches them. And the Bible says he takes from Jesus and gives to us. Okay, so now let's go back to where we left last week. Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4. And uh, if you will please help me put that Zechariah chapter 4 diagram back on the overhead. I would really appreciate that. Zechariah chapter 4. I'm going to read again from verse 1. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 1. Again, let me, let, let me just give you a quick context to Zechariah here. Zechariah was a contemporary of Ezra. He was a contemporary of Haggai. And 
uh, also lived in the era of Nehemiah. All of those guys lived together around the same time. Amen? And so what's happened here is Ezra led a group of people out of Babylon to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple that has broken down. 42,000 Jews left with him from Babylon to come to Jerusalem to rebuild. So, they got there, they were very motivated, they started building, and they laid the foundation, and they celebrated, they were very happy, foundation is laid. Praise God, hallelujah, we started. And then they became, uh, they were harassed, they were intimidated, they were persecuted, and uh, opposition came against them. And even though they built the foundation very quickly, as a result of the opposition and the harassment and the persecution, they stopped. And so now, they have stopped for 16 years when Zechariah began to prophesy again. Amen? So Zechariah's prophecy to Zerubbabel, who was the governor, and to all of the other prophets around, the prophecy was to inspire them, to encourage them, that even though you stopped for 16 years, the time has come to begin to finish the work you started. Amen? And there may be some of us here this morning, you've started some things and you stopped. Maybe you started school and you quit. Maybe you started a business and you stopped. Maybe you had a dream and something came. You were, you were attacked. There was opposition. Money ran out. And you just put a thing on the shelf. The word of the Lord to you is, don't forget the dream. The spirit of God that began it will finish it. It's just a matter of key in to God and say, so God, in what season? What season am I in? What's the next steps? What shall I do? Who shall I do it with? Just being in communion with the Holy Spirit will get the keys and the directions for the next steps. Okay, so now back, so keep that on the board. Let me just read the passage and then we're going to come to it. So Zechariah chapter 4 verse 1. Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who's waking out of his sleep. On Wednesday night, I was sharing with those that were here on Wednesday night about that verse 1. That is very interesting. If you notice that verse 1. He said, I was, he said, he said the angel who spoke to me wakened me as a man who's awakened out of his sleep. Sounds like a repetition. Why was it not sufficient to just say wakened me? Okay, you wakened. Okay, good. I got it. No. But he says he wakened me as a man who was awakened. So there's a double emphasis on what this angel was about to reveal to Zechariah. And the message to you and I is, many of us have been steeped, S-T-E-E-P. We've been uh, familiar, we've been fashioned, we've, been, uh, we've settled on a particular way of life. We've done things in a particular way. And in order for us to make a change, or to make an adjustment, we have to be wakened as a man that's awakened. Ah, you didn't get it. You didn't get it. You didn't get it. In other words, you know, sometimes, if, if, if no, I'm sure this, this didn't happen to you, if you were in a house that was on fire and you were sleeping, maybe you were taking a power nap. You know how those power naps is deep? Power naps are very deep. You're in a power nap and the house is, is burning. Now, if they just come and say, yes, that's like that, the house is burning. More than likely, you hear it, you just turn around and keep on sleeping. Mm -hmm. it, it, it doesn't register. 
But if I came to the house is burning. <laughs> I just didn't waken you. I waken to awaken you. In other words, here in Zechariah chapter four, verse one, there was a, there was a sense of urgency. This is not just a casual vision that this angel was giving to Zechariah. The angel was bringing a sense of urgency. I'm, I'm waking you as a man that's awakened. In other words, Zechariah, it is not going to be business as usual. I know you are a trained prophet. You've prophesied to Israel for years. You are familiar with temple worship. You are familiar with the law of Moses. You are familiar with the protocol of how Israel did what they did for the past years. However, wake up because there is going to be a change of administration. There is going to be a change in the way things will be done from here going forward. And I don't want you to miss it. Amen? He was wakened as a man that was awakened. Now let me read, read on. Verse 2. And he said to me, what do you see? So I said, I'm looking. And I said, lampstand, that's what you are looking at on the overhead, of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. And on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it. One at the right of the bowl and the other at its left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me saying, what are these, Lord? Now, these are very probing questions. Now, I didn't address this last week because, because, I, because I wanted to introduce the message. But I want to address some of these things today. What are these, Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. Now, again, remember, this vision is coming to a prophet, Zechariah, who was very familiar with the law of Moses, very familiar with the uh, dispensation in which Israel lived under the law in, in, in that time. And so, Zechariah was definitely familiar with the golden lampstand in the temple. He knew about that. But he's seeing something else here. A golden lampstand with two olive trees, one to the right and one to the left. And the angel said, do you understand what you're seeing? He said, no. Are you sure? He said, no, I don't. Now, this is the point I'm making. For many of us, we've been familiar with dealing with God through a particular system. Many of us, me inclusive, until a few years ago, I thought in dealing with God, the kingdom of God, I have to pull up myself by my own bootstraps. I have to perform. I have to obey every law. I have to do what God says. I have to follow a protocol of things. All of us were groomed or trained on a performance treadmill. You do well, you get well. You do bad, you get bad. We were all trained on the basis of Deuteronomy chapter 28. The blessings for obedience and the curses for disobedience. So that was our mindset. 
But you need to recognize that in the, in the kingdom of God, Jesus has fulfilled the law perfectly and, in, and as you and I are in union with him, we enter into rest, into his finished works. Therefore, God is not looking at me to perform in order to get something because Jesus has already performed in our behalf. Amen? So for many of us, when we hear the grace of God, we hear it, but we really don't grasp it. Why? Because our mentality is still, I have to do to get. I have to do to get. I have to do to get. So for Zechariah, a man who prophesied, who lived under the law, who understood the law, even though God showed him this picture, this illustration in picture form, he said, I don't understand it. Oh my goodness. This is the same thing that's happening in our day. And I want you to know, even though you are, you, are, you are under grace, you are learning about grace, you are hearing the gospel of grace, don't argue with people who don't understand the message. They are like Zechariah. That's not your place to argue with them. Zechariah, is, the angel is showing him the picture. He said, oh no, I don't know what this is. So you're going to have friends. You're going to have family members who, like you and I, have been trained under the law for years. You are not going to come to them in one day, in one message, in five minutes and tell them about grace and you think they're going to get it. To expect that is asking for too much. I just came back from the UK and we had a chance to teach the gospel of grace for seven days straight. And I cannot tell you how much I appreciate that format. Because every day we give them just a little bit. And a little more. And a little more. And a little more. Morning and evening. Monday through Sunday. 14 sessions. The same group of people. So over 14 sessions and allowing people to ask questions we were able to bring them into clearer, clearer understanding of what the message is. You, you follow what I'm saying? So the angel shows Zechariah one picture. He said, prophet, do you understand what this is? Guys, are you kidding me? No, I don't. Of course he didn't understand it. But the idea here was, Zechariah, in the past, you guys began to build the temple. You laid the foundation. But beyond the foundation, you've not been able to finish it. So obviously, that should let you know in your own ability and performance, you are limited. You started, but you cannot finish. So God said, let me introduce you to a new system. Let me introduce you to the gospel of grace where God will not only study through you, he will also finish it. Because now it will not be man that's working, it will be all God working on man's behalf. Oh, time will not permit me to help you understand what this meant. Because the, the, the last Sunday I'll show you two pictures. I'll show you the priesthood who who as, as priests in those days, Israel had to go thresh the olive 
get the oil, bring the oil back, and in the priest, on, on a daily basis, morning and evening, had to now pour the oil into the lampstand. Do you know how much work was involved in that? We have no idea. We have no idea. Number one, olive trees did not grow in the temple. So the Israelites had to go out, find the trees, harvest the olives, take it back to their place of abode, and then thresh it, and then, uh, and, and then extract the oil from that water. I mean, it was a laborious process that involved everyone in the community. And then when you read the law, God help them if they don't do it. God help them if they miss one day. That was the sentence that they were under to have light burning in his temple every day. So now God said, okay, I won't have you doing all the laborious work. This is the way it's going to work from now on. The olive will produce the oil and the oil will be transferred to the pipes who will transfer it to the lampstands and the light will just burn. Everything will be automated by grace. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Say grace automation. Grace automation. Say grace automation. grace automation. We are living in a day of grace automation to, for as many of us will receive it and believe it. Grace automation. Which simply means God is at work for man, through man, to do that which only him can do. Grace automation. That's the era that we're in. Now, let me just bring the message to a close. So last week, I gave you two observations about this golden lampstand and the oil that flows in it. Number one, I said, oil brings lubrication. Adequate oil in any moving part lubricates those parts to reduce any friction. Okay? The understanding for us with that is you and I are moving parts in the body of Christ. We are members of the same body. Ephesians chapter 4 says, the affecting working together of each part causes the body to grow together. So each one of us are parts in this body of Christ. To the degree that we are lubricated with the oil of the Holy Spirit, we avoid frictions within the body. We are not fighting one another. We are not uh, in strife with one another. We are working in unity because the Spirit of God has lubricated us. We have allowance. I, I, I give you room. I give you allowance. I'm not looking at everything you do that is wrong to judge you, to criticize you, to put you down, to tear you down. Why? Because I've been oiled by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Number two from last week is illumination. Illumination. The light of the golden lampstand illuminates the temple. That was the only source of light that was in that temple. If the oil failed, they would be in darkness. Think about that. Illumination. And I said to you last week, the illumination is in two sides. This illumination that gives direction 
Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. Direction. Psalms 119 verse 119. Then there's the other side of illumination which speaks to us of insight. Psalms 119 verse 130. The entrance of your word, it gives understanding. Insight. There are things you're praying about, there are things you don't know that because of your communion with the Holy Spirit, bang, insight comes. Insight comes. Ah, no, 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 no. It worked for me this last week. I'm telling you, uh, at the right time, I'm going to, uh, I may share the, the testimony. Uh, listen, I, I saved myself a bunch of money. A bunch of money. I had, I had budgeted uh, for that particular thing, $2,500 that I was going to spend for that thing. But, the, but through the inside of the Holy Spirit, this last week, they think cost me $1,500. Same thing. I mean, how many, how, many, how many of you guys can take $1,000 right now and use it? How many people? Oh, okay. See, that, that's the kind of insight that the Holy... Listen, I, I, oh man, I lie not in the Holy Ghost. My wife is here. It's true. I already wrote the thing out and the budget, I'll tell her this is how much this is going to cost us. And I set that money aside. But I, during the week as I was about to, I was, I was about to implement a thing, the Holy Ghost just, just gave me insight. I spent exactly $1,520 instead of $2,500. Are you going to tell me that the Holy Ghost does not work? Say grace automation. Grace automation. Oh, you didn't hear me. Say grace automation. grace automation. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to bring to reality in every one of our lives. Every one of our lives. It's real. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I, I said to you earlier, don't trivialize what you are doing. Don't think you only need the Holy Ghost because there's cancer or there's brain tumor. Or, or No, every little aspect of your life, the Holy Spirit wants to be involved. But if you tell him that you know everything, that you, you don't need him, of course it's a gentleman. He just takes his seat and says, okay, go do it yourself. And then maybe 16 years later after you fail, your, your head is to the wall, you can come back to him and say, well, I've been here all along. Two other things. So number one, lubrication. Number two, elimination. Number three, restoration. Restoration. I don't know who is here this morning who has lost something or something has been taken away from you. Something has been stolen from you. I want you to know the job, well, one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to bring restoration to you. In Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, in verse 34, we read the story of the good Samaritan. Let's start from verse 33. Ah, actually, really read the whole passage on your own. But let me, let me just start from verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil on, and wine, and set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Took care of him. So we see in that story, a man on a road to Jericho who was accosted by armed bandits 
beat him up, stole his goods, and left him for dead. The priest came by there, could not help him. The Levite, who is the priest's assistant, came by, could not help him. Now, in the past, we read that passage, and we read about the priest and the Levite, and we really chastised them for not helping, but you must understand the, the moral of this story. The truth of the matter is, they could not help him, because if they did, they would have been unclean under the law. Okay, some of you got it, some of you didn't. The law in which they live, at that time stipulated, if the priest stopped to help the man who needed help, who was already unclean, that made the, clean, the priest himself unclean. And likewise, the Levites. So that's why they ran away and said, oh no, we can't touch this. It was not so much so because of their wickedness or insensitivity, no. In fact, it was because they recognized they lived under a law that could not help them. That's the difference with Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Hey, under the law, when you touch an un unclean thing, you became unclean. But under grace automation, when you touch an unclean thing, the unclean thing becomes clean and you're not stained. Yeah. Hallelujah. That's the Jesus difference. That's the Jesus difference. But anyway, the Samaritan who was not under the law. Now you understand the story. The Samaritan was not under the law. The law of Moses did not speak to the Samaritan. So he came by, saw the need, ministered to the need, and used all to minister. Really, Jesus was trying to tell us about the limitation of the law in the story. And how the Samaritan, who was not under the law, who lived, or was supposed to live like you and I are living under grace automation, could see a need and minister to the need because we are not under the constraint of the law. But, pay attention to what he used to minister. He brought out oil and wine and poured it on, on the needy. Put him on his vehicle. Not Tesla, but on his horse. <laughs> Tesla would have been nice. <laughs> and took him to an inn and ministered to him. So the idea here is all there speaks of healing and if there's anyone here right now under the sound of my voice who needs a touch from God, who needs to be healed, I speak healing to your ailment in the name of Jesus. Whatever that ailment is, it submits and surrenders to the authority of the name of God. And in Jesus' name, receive your healing from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. In the name of Jesus, be made whole. And whatever has been stolen from you, your identity, your security, Oh, your purpose, your dream, whatever it is that has been stolen, just as this man was accosted on the road to Jericho, whatever has been stolen, I speak restoration. In the name of Jesus, 
Gold for the sense of gold. Silver for the sense of silver. Bronze for the sense of bronze. In the name of Jesus, everything the caterpillar has eaten, the palmer worm, everything they have taken from you will be restored in Jesus' name. Amen. By the power of the Spirit. Amen. Folks, don't, don't allow the time that we're living in to, uh, to, to get you in a hurry too quickly. In other words, what I'm saying is, there are times when your friends or family members may seem to be ahead of you. And if you're not careful, you're looking at them and you're saying, man, I should, have been, I, I should, be, I should be better off than, than where I am now. And if you pay attention to that long enough, you're going to get onto, on the performance treadmill. You're going to try to do something to bridge that gap, to get yourself on, uh, uh, on a trajectory that satisfies the status quo. Big mistake. Because one touch from God, under grace automation, one promotion from God, <laughs> one word from God can change, or rather, no, 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 not can, not can, will change your situation, will change your circumstance. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Folks, you do not know those guys that you think are ahead of you. You don't know the pain that they have every night. You don't see it. You don't know it. You're not aware of it. You just see them when they wear their nice suit, when they wear their nice stuff. Drive a nice car, you see their house, they say, oh, wow, John Doe is doing very well. Oh, my God, I wish I was like that. You do not know what's happening to them. But if you allow God in and through the Holy Ghost to help you, guide you, as we read in the scripture, take you by the hand, because God has a destination for you with your name on it. Oh, thank God. Abraham needed a, a wife or a son. He didn't go out there and put it on uh, harmony.com. He didn't announce for the wife on match.com and all that, that stuff. He found the servant. Genesis chapter 24. Who we now know is the Holy Spirit. Or type of the Holy Spirit. Say, listen, my son needs a wife. Go and find a wife suitable for him. And this servant, this helper, this servant of truth, went on that journey and did not return until he found the perfect wife. Now, if God did that for Isaac, who was not born again, how much more will God do for you and I today? Don't be in a hurry. Don't accept anything the world is giving you. No, don't allow the culture of the world to determine your future. You have a future in God before the world began. Yes. Ephesians chapter 1. You were chosen in him before the foundation of the earth in love. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You had not done anything. You had not done anything good or bad and he chose you in love already. He said, I love you. And I have a plan for you. Plans of peace and not of evil. To bring you to an expected end. So again, observation number one. Lubrication. Number two. Elimination, number three, restoration. And last one is the fragrance. 
that oil supplies. Those of you that like colognes and perfumes, you know the difference. A cologne is a cologne and a perfume is a perfume. <laughs> this is what I'm saying by that. People who sell fragrances will tell you that the most pungent of fragrance are the ones that are oil-based. When you put on a perfume, all you need is a little drop and the fragrance will carry you all day long. Now, if you use cologne, it's also a good fragrance, but you may need to use a bucket full. <laughs> because of the, of the base. No, so, so this is the point I'm making. This is the point I'm making. This is the point I'm making. Let's go to 2 Corinthians. Uh, chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, I need to hurry. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 14. Actually, verse 13 and 14. <sighs> verse 13 and 14. I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother, but taking my leave of them, I departed from Macedonia. Verse 14. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And through us, diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Wow. Wow. He always leads us in triumph. So Paul is writing to a group of people who understood the victory protocol of his day. Case in point. The U.S. World Soccer Team just won the World Cup. You all remember that? Ah, just a few. You, rest, rest of you guys, you live on the planet? <laughs> a, few people, a few people say yes. Only the women say yes. The women won. Okay, what did I say? Do, do you guys see these lawyers, these legalists? <laughs> I'll give it to you. The U.S. women's soccer team. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, those guys have not heard of grace automation yet. They've not <laughs> they are still living under love, Moses, but God, God will help you. Come out. <laughs> but this is the point I'm making. They came back from France, and the next week, there was a victory parade given them in New York City. Is that correct? Now, Paul, in speaking here in 2 Corinthians, was helping the Corinthians to understand the victory parade that always accompanied a conquest. Every conquest back in those days was followed by a parade. So the victorious generals will lead the soldiers who are with the victorious generals will be behind them. 
and the villains that have been conquered will also be displayed. Okay, so in this case, if the U.S. was going to do it well, <laughs> the women's soccer team should be in the parade. And then who did they beat again? England. England should have been made to come with them to be ridiculed. But thank God we don't do that. We don't do that. We don't do that. We don't do that. So that's what happened. The, 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 the conquering general, the soldiers who won the battle, and those who had been conquered, all of them will be in a parade in the city. Because the proof in the pudding for that time was a parade. They didn't have Google to know that you conquered the, the place. They did not have CNN or Fox News. No, 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 no. They, so they had to physically display the victory. So everybody will know that in fact we went to battle and we won. Ahead in that parade will be wreath and incense burning to announce that the parade is ongoing and all of those who are there to watch and witness the parade will smell the incense and they'll say, wow, this is the real deal. And they'll see the conquering generals, they see the soldiers who went to battle, and of course they see the chained soldiers that have been con conquered as well. So Paul is not using this illustration. And extrapolating from that, that you and I, we thank God because as Jesus is parading his victory in every situation that you and I get involved in, every time we get involved in anything, we are going to always be triumphant. Why? Because Jesus has already conquered. And it now says through us, he diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Case and point, in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman, after Jesus encountered her, and she became delivered from the several multiple uh, relationships she had, she was the one that when I announced to the, guy, to the rest of the guys in Samaria, come see a man who told me all about myself. So in that sense, the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus was diffused through that individual. So this is what Paul is saying to you and I. When we are all by the Holy Spirit, properly, adequately, sufficiently, in sufficient measure, you and I not only have lubrication, have illumination, have restoration, we also diffuse every place we go. When you go to work, People will see, say, my goodness, something, there's something about you. Yeah, there is something about me. I'm more than conquered through him that loved me. I was born in fear, but now I'm free. Amen. I was once lost, but now I can see. My God, you'll be diffusing forth the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus. Everywhere you go, people will see that there's something different about you. And that will now give you the opportunity of telling your story. Because it's like a man or a woman who wears a nice fragrance. I used to complain to my wife and my brother. I put on this fragrance, I buy these expensive things, I put them on, I smell them when I'm putting on my shirt or my jacket, but when I leave the room, I don't smell it again. So what's wrong with this thing? They now educated me that I may not smell it, but as I go from room to room, others around me, 
is catching a whiff of it. And that's the idea that Paul is telling us here. You may not know that anything else is happening with you. But the oil that you have in you, the oil of the Holy Ghost that's burning in you. My God, when you enter a room or a place or a business, any arena, they will recognize it. Just like the perfume, they will smell the aroma of the goodness, the power, the presence of God in your life. You need to be aware of that. And the opposite is also true. God forbid if you are a sore grape, bad attitude, you enter a room, everybody knows it. Before you ever open your mouth, you see some movies, the elevator door opens, a man enters the elevator, and everybody hushes. Because the man is a prophet, is a prophet of bad attitude. And everybody knows this guy has a bad attitude, no go. So Paul wants me, you and I to be aware. We carry lubrication. We carry illumination. We carry restoration. But more importantly, the fragrance of the knowledge of God, not just to us, but through us. The Holy Spirit has been given so that through us, the knowledge of God can fill the earth. We are the only tools he has to spread the knowledge of his name. Acts 1.8, and you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. Amen? Amen. Father, we just want to thank you for our time this morning. We thank you for your grace automation. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for that we are recognizing every day our need for the helper. That spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit whom you've sent, who stands ready and willing to help us, to lead us, to guide us, to show us. Father, I pray that you woo us, you draw us into a desirable place of willingness to cooperate with you. So that the grace that you gave from the beginning through the Lord Jesus can be manifested in each and every one of our lives. Thank you, Father God, for the lubrication power of the Holy Spirit. That because of the Holy Spirit, strife, divisions, enmities, irritations and infightings will be significantly reduced in our homes, in our businesses, in our congregations. We thank you for the illumination that we have a clear sense of purpose and direction. We know where we are going and we receive insight through the eyes of our understanding being enlightened by the power of your spirit. Thank you, Papa. We receive restoration right now, Lord God, from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. Healing, wholeness, wellness. In the name of Jesus. And everything that's been stolen or taken away, restored sevenfold to the glory of who you are. Amen. Thank you, Father God, that we are better witnesses for you. That everywhere we go, Lord Jesus, the fragrance of the knowledge of who you are will be diffused everywhere. 
Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to be your ambassadors and your representatives. We thank you, we honor you, we bless you, Father. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Praise God. Thank you.